If you uh, have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, just raise your hand and Mark will bring one to you, Garrett. (laughs) I have a book to give away this morning titled Living by the Book. This is actually a kind of a commentary devotional book by James Montgomery Boyce, one of my all-time favorite uh, Bible teachers. Um, And whoever last put tabs on their license plate gets the book. What do you got, Tim? Last week. Now, you're all putting tabs on your license plates, right? (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Tim, for being legal. Good work, brother. So we're going to be in Psalm 100 this morning. Let me pray, and there's a few other passages I want to go to before we go to 100, or Psalm 1. Father, thank you so much uh, for your holy, precious word. Father, in a world of spin and most often not sure who to trust, who's lying to us, who's telling us the truth. Dear God, to have a faithful, objective, truthful witness and grid to push everything through, Lord, it's priceless. So I I pray, Father God, that as we take a couple steps back this morning, do a little bit of soul-searching with your word, I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would clearly communicate to your people from your word. I pray that I would not be in any way a a distraction or getting in the way of of your, your feeding your people with your word, Lord God. I pray that you'd help me just to be a conduit, um, of your work, and uh, Father, I just recognize my dependency upon you and pray for your blessing in the lives of these people that you have purchased by your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, if you go to Psalm 19, Psalm 19, and I'm going to read from Psalm 19 first. And then a couple other spots. Psalm 19, verse 1. Psalm 19 kind of tells us about two kinds of revelation. General revelation, how God reveals himself through his creation. And special revelation, how he reveals himself specifically through the written word. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And then a transition in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the presumptuous, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. But the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And if you would turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, I'll pick it up at verse 5, give a little bit of a context. Joshua 1, 5 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Psalm chapter 1. I don't know about you guys, but I find myself often just kind of moving through the motions of a day. I try not to. I try for that not to be um, how, I, how I think when I kick off my day. But, but it happens where I'm just going through the motions of the day. <clears throat> you get up, you have seven or eight cups of coffee, and you know you start your day. As you move through that day... You may not catch things, you may not see things, it just kind of comes over you like waves. But what I found interesting is the days where I really feel a little bit more keen in what's happening that day is I am struck by how many voices are speaking to me throughout a day. 
when you stop and think about how much advice did I gain in that one day? How many, how many voices came to my ears in one day telling me what they think I should do or what I ought to do? How many voices on the radio? How many on the internet? How many by friendships, by family, co-workers, signs, magazine covers, articles, Facebook, Twitter? I can keep going if you want me to. Television. Over and over and over and over, there is a voice speaking to you. A voice, a voice, a voice, a voice all over the place. It's amazing if you pause and just say, how many voices have tried to get my attention in this one day? And what I really, the main question that I want to bring to your attention this morning is what voice is the loudest? What voice is the clearest? What voice has your attention um, the most? Psalm 1 speaks to this. Now, this point that I'm making is a point that could have been made, has been made, throughout history. But I want to say, particularly in our day, you can even say particularly in our country in our day, the amount of voices that are seeking to speak into our lives and call us to stand alongside them is amazing. And so, I'm curious, and I'm not asking you to say aloud, but I'm just asking you to consider this. Who has your ear? Who have you allowed to have a voice in your life? And how loud is that voice? If you were to go around and ask folks, where do you find truth? What a question to pose. And I'm saying saved or unsaved, just ask them, where do you really find truth? Some folks really quickly would say the news. Most folks are not saying that lately. Some folks will say, well, some older people in my life, their advice means a lot to me. My spouse, my dad, my, my uncle, my grandparents, books. This particular, particular periodical, this particular magazine, fill in the blank, they have an answer. This is where I go to find truth. Well, Christian, I want to ask you, in the last two years, where have you found your basis of that which is true? Psalm 1, which is a, just a beautiful gate that opens up the Psalms. It's a perfect beginning, obviously. The Lord has a design here. As he speaks to the blessed man and what I'll call the cursed man and the difference between the two. And so I want you to consider with me afresh, before we go to Genesis chapter 24, before we start that chapter, I thought, it might be good for us to just take a couple steps back and ask some important questions. First, look at verse 1. Blessed is the man. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be the blessed man. I believe I am the blessed man, theologically. I am the man who has this blessing. I don't think that we get the blessing because we do something. I think we do something because we've been blessed. This is a a description of what the blessed man looks like. And first it's negative and then positive. 
So first we're told what the blessed man does not do. So now I say man, women, people. Who are these blessed people? Number one, they're the ones, it says, who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. This idea of blessed is a deep-seated joy and contentment in the approval of Almighty God. There are so many people who are living for so many other people's approval. Whether it's their parents' approval, their boss's approval, their friends' approval, you know, you got peer pressure coming out of your ears in our culture right now. When was the last time somebody asked you about God's approval? God being, God's approval being on your life through the Lord Jesus Christ. When was the last time you heard this world make reference to that? Or churches making reference to the concern about the approval of God? I always find it fascinating when we hear about the president's approval rating. I, I think, <clears throat> yeah, I, when, I, when I think about that, and I'm not just saying the current president, but any president, and you think about the approval rating, where the most vital approval rating is God's approval rating of you. And you, if you're in Christ, you have a zero approval rating. So you can have the entire country adore you and be outside of Christ and on your way to hell. You tell me which is of greater importance. Now, this blessed man is one who has the eternal blessedness, joy that can't be reached by his enemies, can't be taken away. You can look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but we hear the blessing that's called on those who are poor in spirit, who are meek. This is a description of the Christian. This is a description of the one who has been born again, changed from the inside out, not by what they've done, but by what's been done unto them. This blessed person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, the walk is just an interesting way of saying live, right? This is somebody who does not live based on what the wicked counsels them to do. Is it possible that we could follow the good and miss the best? Is it possible that the wisdom of the wicked could make sense in the moment, and yet we miss what God's word specifically calls us to do? I think it can happen. I think some of the very strongest opposition to our obedience to the Lord is something that might make sense to us in the moment, but is not the truth. It feeds the flesh. It makes sense to the flesh. But then we come back to the Word. And we come to the Word and ask the Word for counsel. We don't walk. We don't base our lives by the counsel of the wicked. What would be some counsel of the wicked? Well, This life is all about you. Don't worry about how it affects other people. You are the center of your world. After all, you're here by an accident. There was a great explosion, and by evolutionary processes, here you are. And now since you're here by accident, there's no purpose for your existence. So live it up. Enjoy this life, because this is all you have. That would be a counsel of the wicked. That would be the world's counsel, to make yourself the center of your universe. And there's many other bits and pieces that you could put in there and go, that's, that's wicked counsel. 
That's, that's a counsel of the wicked. And I, I hear this often. You probably hear this too when people say, I know God wants me to be happy, so I know he's behind me in this decision. Wrong. Absolutely dead wrong. Number one, it's your definition of happy, not his per se. Number two, I don't know anywhere in Scripture where he promises us that we will be a happy people all the time based on our circumstances. A joyful people rooted in Christ, page after page after page. Circumstances working out so we're always comfortable and always happy. Actually the opposite of that throughout Scripture. But the counsel of the wicked is so prevalent, it... it, it it scares me at times, you guys, as a, not only as a, as a Christian guy trying to live this life, but as a, as a dad trying to raise kids, as a pastor seeking to shepherd, when I contemplate the amount of God's voice in our ears to the amount of the wicked's voice in our ears on a weekly basis, is ast- it's just astounding. The volume of the world's voice in our lives. It's astounding. Blessed is the man who walks not in that counsel. You don't make your life decisions based on it. What do I do with my funds? Go to the Word. What do I do in my marriage? Go to the Word. What do I do with my kids? Go to the Word. What do I do with this decision, with this job decision, with this moving decision? With this? Go to the Word. Find your clarity from Him Pray, seek his face, seek godly counsel, and move forward. See, that's the thing that's so interesting is that, honestly, godly counsel is all over the place. It really is. There are people in this room who have counseled me for years. I have a phone. All i got to do is pick it up and call somebody, and I've got seven or eight godly people, some of the godliest people I know. I can call them right now. Well, they're in, ch- they're in church, but I could call them this afternoon. <clears throat> I mean, I could call them right now. Uh, but I call them this afternoon, and they will speak the truth of God's word directly into my life, into that issue. So yeah, the, the wicked's counsel is present, but beloved, we have, we have a tremendous, tremendous counsel, godly counsel around us. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's interesting, walks, stands, sits leading his life according to ungodly principles, standing the way of, in the way of sinners, more settled, obstinate in the course of sinners. There's a, there's a digression here where you take the counsel of the wicked. Then all of a sudden your life is being led in the counsel of the wicked. Then you start defending the counsel of the wicked and then you start giving the counsel of the wicked. It's a slippery slope when we start letting the flesh make the calls. And the word loses its place to our own thinking. A constant and resolved perseverance in wickedness. Not simply apathetic to the Lord, but actually scoffing. That you're no longer simply just listening and going, well, they have a point. But now you've embraced, you're in the presence of the scoffer the one who mocks the living God, the one who mocks the fact that you're seated in this place this morning. You know how prevalent that is? 
I'm, I know you do, you guys. You live in this world. I'm not saying that you're pumping all the, the world stuff into your life, but you do live in this world. I know you have a coworker who at some point has made some offhanded comment about your walk as a Christian. I know you have some family member that, that just takes a little jab at you periodically for believing that stuff, that crock of Christianity. I know you've, you've felt that push from the wicked in this world. And it's hard sometimes. It's really hard. And I'll, let me just take a couple steps down. It's really hard when your obedience before the Lord seems to make no sense to you in the moment. You're in severe pain, whether physically, emotionally, or both. And then the world says, don't you see the ridiculousness of what you're doing? And all you have is the Bible. Now, you should know, when anytime Dan says, all you have is the Bible, you need nothing more, beloved, when the Word says with great clarity and you're walking in obedience to it, let the chips fall where they fall and hold tight to what you know to be clearly true. Blessed is the man who doesn't give his ear to this. Well, that's the negative. Now, let's look at the positive. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Please notice the text does not say his begrudging obedience is, is the law of the Lord. His delight is in it. Now, all of us have hobbies and things we delight in and enjoy, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's certain things we love, music or or sports or hunting or fishing or whatever it is some of you do. We all take joy and delight in that. Nobody goes, Dan, you have to go on a motorcycle ride. Ugh, again? You know, there's, there's delight in it. There's joy in it. This is what he says is the word of God to the Christian. This is what the word of God is to the believer. To the follower of the Lord, his delight is in God's word. He takes pleasure in it, joy. This is not vegetables, this is sugar, this is chocolate that we're talking about here. That's why, did you notice in Psalm 19, it said like honey from the honeycomb. That's the, that's the word as it falls on your spiritual taste buds. It's sweet, it's delectable, it's wonderful. Look at 1 John chapter 5 with me. We're going to be back in Psalm 1, but 1 John chapter 5. I remember a number of years ago, this might have been in high school, I can't remember, but um, I remember reading this, and it just leaped off the page. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Everyone... Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Catch the second half. And his commandments are not 
burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. So what's the difference between the saved and the unsaved? His word's a delight to us. His command is sweet to us. We like it. We're grateful for it. As opposed to the unsaved mind, the natural man, as Paul refers to him, when he hears the word of God, that is distasteful to him. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want that. He has no spiritual ability to take that and even know what it is. The scripture says that he suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. He holds it down. He hates the truth. But the believer is one who, when he hears the truth, delights in it, loves it, doesn't begrudge it. Here's kind of what happens in our life as we're believers and we're progressively growing in, in godliness and growing in Christ-likeness is perhaps you hear a command of Scripture and at very first thought you go, I've I got to obey that. But beloved, can I remind you that the one who gives these commands into our life is the one who loves us more than we can understand the one who is sovereign over all things, the one who is all-powerful, the one who gave his son who died on the cross in your stead is the one calling you in these commands. His commands are not burdensome. So <clears throat> this is what's so fascinating is that there'd be numerous times as a kid my dad would tell me what to do, and it really bothered me because I know better than my dad does. Right? I'm eight. I should. <clears throat> And what I had not recognized is the reason my father was asking me to do that was because he knew better than I did. He loved me. He was smarter than me, wiser than me, and in his command was love. Not just trying to be a bully, but he cared for me. Well, let's put this on the grandest level as we come to Almighty God and we say, you mean to tell me that God has good in store for me from his word? Yes. These aren't burdensome. This is a blessing. This is a dad who loves you more than you understand, and he's guiding you and leading you. It's not us up against God's word. It's not us fighting against it. It's us coming to God's word and seeing this is exactly what the Lord wants for us. Our Father loves us. His Word's calling us to do this because this really does lead to blessedness. This really does lead to joy. I've been there where I've sat with believers and I've brought out a point of Scripture that happens to go against something in their lifestyle that they want really bad. And you can see this is a burden to them. And it's hard at times to communicate. I realize this feels like a burden to you, but in all reality, this is the best thing for you. And you actually have to trust God more than what you think you want in this moment. Now that's, I give kind of a counseling session illustration. Let's just put me in the other side of the table. There's numerous times where I come back to the Word and I go, this goes against what I want. And I want it so bad, but his word's so clear. And in your heart of hearts, you can actually feel an angst against God's word. Beloved, this is where we've got to stop and remember 
whose word it is and why he's given it to us. God loves you. I got to tell myself often, quit being a stupid kid who thinks he knows better than his dad. God loves you and knows way better than you do. So his word should come way over our wants if they come with friction against each other. The true believer is one who is growing in God's word and growing in that his word is no longer a burden, but it's a joy, it's a delight. I want to walk in obedience to what I see in the word. But first you need to know what's in the word. So if you look down here, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. You know, all of us meditate in some way or another. All of us are thinking. Um, Some of us who don't sleep very well think a lot. And some of us throughout the day are consistently contemplating something. You're thinking about something. You're driving, and I hope you're thinking about something as you're driving. And as you're contemplating that, I loved what Martin Lloyd-Jones said years ago where he said, stop listening to yourself and begin talking to yourself. What he meant by that was start speaking truth into it. Because I don't know about you, but if it's just Dan talking to Dan, I can run amok with no truth of the word. We're told that the blessed man is one whose meditation is on the law of the Lord. Now, does that mean open Bible all day, every day, everywhere they go? No, not necessarily in the sense of like pages, but that the word is always present. You you push everything through the grid of the truth of God's word. So stuff comes across all day long. Somebody makes a statement, well, this is true and that's not true. Uh, You you should wear a mask, shouldn't wear a mask. You should get vaxxed, you shouldn't get vaxxed. You should listen to Fox, no CNN. All this stuff just keeps shoved into your face. And at some point, you have got to have a grid because who's telling the truth anymore? God is. Now, does God's word have great clarity on all that stuff? Not necessarily, but it stabilizes you in order to respond to all of the stuff coming at you so you can respond from the word of God. Sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's more tricky. But nonetheless, the bigger question that I'm I'm proposing to you is, Is this your practice that the grid that all that comes through your life is being pressed through is the word? Or does it take a back seat to your own reasoning, to what's easier, to what makes the most sense for the moment? Are we Christians who live by what we see in the truth of God's word, or are we playing a game? This is one who meditates upon it day and night. I've shared with you guys numerous times that my dad's classic is chapter and verse. If I make a statement, he'll say chapter and verse. It's just simply his way of saying, have you run this through the grid? Is this where, can you show me from the word why you've made that call, why you're going to move in that direction? It's altered my life in so many ways. This concept of meditation a a chewing, a a talking to yourself, a marinating in something. You're working through it. It's consistently going through the mind. And he says that the blessed man is one who 
meditates upon the Word. It's an active pondering on the Word of God. Really simple. Let me just give you like a little exercise. It might be fun. Just take one verse. So Okay, so tomorrow morning, just take one verse of Scripture and just roll it around for the day. Just think about it. Roll it around for the day. How does this apply? How does this affect me? What is the context this verse is found in? Just start maybe baby steps. Perhaps you've been doing this for years and you're light years beyond me. If so, praise the Lord. Um, but this might be just a good beginning point. Just take one verse and just meander over it. Maybe the news takes a back seat to it. I was amazed somebody told me this statistic of how many times somebody reaches for their cell phone and touches it in a day. I forget, it was, it was amazing how high of a number it was. So then I grabbed from my phone to see if he was right. But <clears throat> and he was, and he was. It's my point being, beloved, if we really take stock of our time in a day, I don't think anybody in this room can tell anybody else in this room they don't have time for meditating on the Word. That's a lie. And most of the time we're lying to ourselves, not to anybody else. I don't have time for that, really. What do you have time for? And I'm speaking directly to me. I'm not talking down to anybody. I'm talking to Dan Mason. What do you have time for that is of greater importance than the meditation on the Word? And it is so, it is deeply convicting. How much of the wicked's counsel gets your mind and the word? What does it get? The leftovers? Well, what does he do positively? He meditates upon the word day and night. Now we're told what happens to these two people. The one who meditates upon the word day and night and the one who dwells in the wicked's counsel. Verse 3 The one who meditates upon the word, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And this is not prospers in the world's eyes, just make that clear. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel where, oh, meditate on the word and you'll be rich and healthy and all that. That's just a complete lie. It's a Ponzi scheme of the world. No, it's a, it's a prospering in godliness. It's a growth in Christ is what he's promising here. You focus on the word, you meditate upon it day and night, you digest the truth, and you're like a tree that's planted by fresh water running by. When we were in eastern Oregon, when we first moved there, the people who were there before us had planted a whole bunch of trees all over the property, little baby trees and stuff. And I killed every one but two. One. One. And it wasn't my doing. It was because there was a little creek that ran by that tree. And that tree was green and beautiful and fresh, and all the rest were brown and dead. And every time I mowed the lawn and drove past there, Psalm 1 just kept coming to my mind. It's like, you're planted by fresh water. Beloved, he says, this is what the life of the Christian is like when they are meditating and delighting in the eating of the Word. You grow, you get strong. God God uses His Word. There's no time wasted in the Word of God. Now, I know all of us, you know, there are portions of the Word that may be more difficult. Some of the Old Testament books may be a little harder to, to really track with. 
Don't beat yourself up. There's, I understand what you're saying, but there is no time wasted that's in the Word. At all. Period. Don't buy into that lie. That's not the truth. There is no time wasted in the Word. He's like a stream, or like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. I'm not asking you to answer, but you know what chaff is, right? You're familiar with that. Uh, my mom's cousin was a wheat farmer, and we would go, and I remember I got to drive a combine one time, and it was a very scary ordeal for everybody involved. And, but chaff, you know, that concept of it's just so dry, you throw it in the air, the wind just takes it away, it takes just a little spark, sets it all aflame. This is his description. Now, think about the description of these two. Uh, the inspired writer, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is coming up with what is the, what's the best comparison, what's the polar opposite of this tree that's roots are strong, robust, there's good sap, there's good water going through that tree. Chaff. Dry, brittle, can be inflamed instantly. No strength, no root. Pathetic. Beloved, that is the difference between the blessed person, the unblessed person, the believer, the unbeliever, the one devouring the word and growing, the one who has no taste for the word and despises the truth. Verse 5, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There's no hope for them, no eternal hope. It is damnation that waits for them. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is obviously far more than knows in the sense of he acknowledges it or knows that it exists. No, there's a, there's a relationship here. The Lord knows them. They are his. It's ownership. The righteous are God's. Really quick, before I move any further... I have to touch on this point because it's vitally important, and I would, I would see myself failing in this message if I didn't touch on it. The reality is, the question must be asked, what makes someone righteous and what makes somebody wicked? The world's response is the righteous are the ones that do mostly good stuff, and the wicked are the ones who are really bad. I want to ask you a question, who are the really bad? And then after you answer that question, I want to ask you the next question, who are the good people? So, you know, we hear that all the time, right? Well, these are good people, not bad people. Well, let me tell you this. Often, I see bad in myself. So is your pastor a good guy or a bad guy? Don't answer that. <clears throat> Am I a good guy or a bad guy? If I ask the question, answer, I'm a bad guy. I know it's in my heart. I know the struggles in my life. And yet I stand before you Righteous. Because my righteousness is not based on Dan doing the right thing, the good stuff. My righteousness is absolutely based on the righteousness of another. It's the Lord Jesus' righteousness. I'm the blessed man because of Christ. I delight in God's word because of Christ. I, I, I have his word and I meditate on it day and night because God's made me alive. He didn't make me alive because I started doing good stuff. I started doing good stuff because he made me alive. 
God rushed into Dan Mason's life, turned my wonder, born again, with fresh eyes, alive in Christ. And I'm, thank God, that I am like a tree planted by streams of water by grace. So I have to touch that because I could imagine somebody reading this going, okay, okay, so the blessed person is the one that reads the Bible and the one who doesn't read the Bible is not the blessed person. Again, beloved, you just have to go back and ask the question, why are they meditating upon the word at all? The world doesn't do that by nature. It's a supernatural appetite put in us by the Spirit of God to want the word, to want the truth. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And I realize that right now, in our world, if you look at the way of the wicked, it seems to be doing fine in some ways. And the way of the righteous seems to be on the outs, slandered, put down. If you were to go into this world and express your perhaps more conservative perspectives, if you were to go share the gospel, if you would point out what you see to be the truth of the word, you would have so much problem with liberal Christianity, let alone the world. And yet this is the truth. And the way of the wicked truly will perish. It will be done away with. And the way of the righteous, the truth of the word, will last forever. So may we give our ears to the voice of God above all other voices. For what God thinks matters far more than any other human being. I don't know about you, Amber's opinion of me matters probably the most out of any human on the planet. But her, her opinion of me pales in comparison to what is God's opinion of me. Her voice may have my ear more than anybody, but her voice should never have my ear in the same way that God has my ear. Almighty God should have Dan Mason's ear more than anybody, anybody else's voice in this world. So, beloved, I'm, I'm kind of just calling you out a little bit just to ask some pointed questions who has your ear these days? And then with that, are you happy with that? Are you comfy with that? As you, from what you see in the Scripture, especially in Psalm 1, do you see yourself lining up here that the, the meditation of the word day and night is like candy to you? I know these are hard questions, and I know they're questions that kind of sting a little bit, but what I have found is typically if there's cancer, putting a Band-Aid on it does not help. It takes some cutting. It might sting a bit. But God in His grace does this marvelous surgery periodically in our lives. And so who's got your ear, PCBC? On a daily basis, who are you listening to? Who do you care the most about what they say? I'm asking those questions of my own heart, and as usual, I like to share with you <laughs> as well. So let me pray for all of us that God would be gracious in helping us in this. Father, 